Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the dude. Are you the type of person that's looking to build your liquor collection in your own home? Then go to Country Wine and Spirits Online Liquor Superstore. But check this out. They've also got a monthly vault membership. It's an exclusive offer. What does a monthly membership tips Country Wine and Spirits give you? Well, I'll tell you. You get free two to five business days ground shipping on all your orders over 50 bucks. Special offers, free mystery vault gifts in every shipment. And if you sign up right now, it's only $19.95 a month for the first three months. And if you sign up for this membership, you get 10% off site-wide on every purchase, including sale items. Plus, as a special with Hey Bartender podcast, you get the 10% off if you join the membership. But if you use Hey Bartender 5, you get 5% off your complete purchase. So you're getting 15% off your entire order if you sign up for the membership, plus use Hey Bartender 5 coupon at check out so go to cwspirits.com sign up for the membership get 10% off your entire order free shipping over $50 plus remember to use coupon code heybartender5 for an extra 5% off you can't beat that deal go to cwspirits.com this is Brian Smith master distiller at hard truth distilling company and you are listening to hey bartender podcast Welcome back to Hey Bartender Podcast. I'm your bartender for the evening. My name is Anthony, or you can call me Dude, depending on uh, you know who, uh, what our friendship is at this point in time. Today, I've got um, guest Brian from Hard Truth Distilling Company with us today. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hard Truth Distilling Company, I'm uh, reading the bio here. It's based in Nashville, Indiana. Brian, why don't you uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself before we get started? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. So we're uh, we're yeah, Hard Truth Distilling Company. We're out of Nashville, Indiana. Uh, people from the area really know this area more um, by the name of Brown County, um, Indiana. So if you've ever traveled through the great state of Indiana, you see a lot of flat cornfields. Um, but then there's this little pocket uh, in in the the kind of the south um, central area of Indiana where the Laurentide Ice Sheet uh, many many moons ago stopped and retreated back and carved out these beautiful hills and hollers. Kind of looks like uh, foothills of Appalachia here. Uh, lush hardwood forest. It's it's really really a beautiful place. Um, and, uh, so we're, yeah, we're here in Brown County. We've got a 325 acre distillery and uh, I joined the company in 2015, um, before this distillery was built and, and, uh, brought some of my skills to the, to the table. And, and, uh, here we are with a bunch of great spirits out in the market, um, and, uh, making our march across the country. That's great. Uh, yeah, I've never personally been to indiana i've i've heard that it's beautiful out there uh it, but uh as for really you know it, i hear things like mostly things that pop into my head it's like eerie indiana and you know mm-hmm. from like movies tv shows whatever so, <laughs> sure yeah so the way i like to start out this podcast is that we present a drink special now uh what do you have for us today yeah, sure. So we uh, we're right now today. We're featuring our Hard Truth Sweet Mash Rye Whiskey, which is our uh, our first whiskey that we've released from our distillery here. Hundred um, percent, you know, grains are grown by our farmers. Hundred percent fermented mashed mash fermented distilled and aged here on our property um, in Brown County. So uh, we've got a I've got two different drinks, but I'm going to start with my favorite that I make with a. Uh, um, with our sweet mash rye whiskey, you know, our, we bottle our rye whiskey at cask strength. So 
you know, I, I really, I take 30 barrels and, and we dump them and whatever the proof ends up, um, you know, uh, on that dump, we just leave it that way. I don't add any water to the, to proof it down. Um, so it's a very, you know, it's a high strength cast strength dry whiskey, uh, works really nicely in uh booze forward cocktails. So my favorite, one of my favorite rye whiskey cocktails is the Bavardier. Um, and so that's what, uh, that's what I chose to, to talk about today. Okay. Yeah. So the uh, feature cocktail that we're going to talk about today with our sweet mash rye is the Bavardier, which is a real classic, uh, you know, whiskey forward cocktail. Um, works really, really well with our high proof rye whiskey. And, uh, so with our, the, the way that we do our Bavardier here at our restaurant, uh, and tasting room is with an ounce and a quarter of sweet mash rye, a half ounce of Campari, and then three quarters ounce of, uh, sweet vermouth. So, you know, you can, uh, stir with, stir with a little ice to dilute. And then we like to serve it up with uh, a little expression of orange on the top. So that, that bitterness for the Campari and the sweetness from the sweet vermouth uh, work really, really nice with that high proof rye. Sounds kind of like, uh, like maybe uh, your own twist on an old fashioned. Yeah. Except for, you know, you get that, you get the Campari in there, a little bitter element. So it's, it's kind of sort of in between like a Negroni uh, and a Manhattan somewhere. It's like a hybrid between the two of those. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That makes more sense. Yeah. Well, people, if you uh, decide to try that drink out, please let me know what you think about it. I'll be featuring it on TikTok here in the future. Um, but if you give it a shot, uh, let me know what you thought about it. Just email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com or reach out to the Hard Truth uh, Distillery Company and uh, let them know. We'll give you the information for that a little bit later in the show. All right, so, Brian, I took a look uh, a little bit. Your people at... Uh, uh, at hard truth were generous enough to give me a little bit of a bio about you. Now, uh, it sounds like from your bio that, uh, you've been kind of doing distillery or, uh, you've been distilling your own stuff since seems like a family thing since you were a kid or previous before that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, whenever, uh, well, first of all, I, I, I never thought in a million years, this is what I would be doing, um, for a living. Uh, but then, you know, once you find yourself doing something, you, you know, and, uh, and it, it goes well, you start to kind of peel away, you know, how did I get here? What, what are the steps? Cause that's the number one question people ask me when they, whenever we start to talk after they learn about the products is they're like, how in the world did you get into do- doing this? How did you get to become a distiller? Um, there's kind of a, you know, a traditional path that some people take where, uh, you know, they, they go to school for biochemistry and they're, they're dead set on becoming a distiller and they approach it that way. Um, there are other people who have a family lineage where, you know, they're, you know, like, like for example, the no family at, at Jim Beam where, you know, their grandpa did it and then their dad did it. And now it's handed down to them. Um, my path wasn't either one of those, uh, really. Um, although, you know, like, like for my bio, if you, if you go back to, I've got great grandfathers on my mom and my dad's side, um, that both, both made whiskey, but you know, really, it, it really wasn't that super uncommon for a lot of the European immigrants, you know, a couple generations in who are here in the United States to make their own wine and make their own beer and sometimes make their own spirits. Um, it, but you know, it was always on, you know, for, for like a family, uh, family gatherings or, you know, it, it was more for just their friends and family, not for commercial enterprise. So my grandma would always tell me a story that, um, you know, every year when they had their big family reunion, that my great grandfather, he would make uh whiskey for the men. He'd make wine for, for the ladies in the family. And then he'd make beer for the kids. And I always thought that was a joke, but she wasn't kidding. Um, <laughs> so, and she said she remembers as a little kid, you know, she'd go over and scoop the foam off of the top of the beer. And, and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, you hear those stories as a kid, but you know, some, sometimes people formulate that into, well, this is what I want to do for a living. But for me, it's, it's more, I'm looking back through that lens and, 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 and finding all these things that, that really helped me to be, um, successful where I am. So most of that came from a, a more of a culinary 
um, lean. So my, my, the same grandmother, um, I was her only grandchild. And, uh, so she would set me up on the counter from a very, very young age. And, uh, you know, as she was cooking, she was an amazing cook and, and she would say, here, you know, taste this and tell me what you think. You don't have to like it, but I just want you to try it and tell me what you think of it. And whether it would be like little ingredients or, you know, a dish as she was cooking it before she would season it. But really she was just getting me involved in her process and how she thought about making food. And, uh, so, uh, it stuck with me. And as I grew up, you know, I, I really, in high school and in college, I mean, I really had a very big interest in, in cooking and creating great flavors. Now I didn't have the guts or the, uh, the, you know, the crazy work ethic that it takes to really work in a restaurant um, or pursue that as a career. I worked in plenty of restaurants, but um, to really stick with that and, you know, you know, people, cause I would, I would cook, you know, big meal for a party or whatever. Right. And people would say, Oh my God, you've got to open up your own restaurant, you know, which is a very nice compliment. Oh but, yeah. You know, I've, I've been in restaurants and I'm like, <laughs> you know, opening a restaurant and running a restaurant successfully and being able to cook, things that taste good for your friends at a party are two completely different things. <laughs> so while, while, while I, uh, while I take the compliment, um, so back to your original question, you know, really the, the, the fascination with creating amazing flavors and, you know, taking something and really doing a deep dive and finding that motivation to, to, to work on the elements to make something taste great or something that I've been interested in for a very, very, very long time. Um, being able to funnel that through distilling and making whiskey and, and other spirits has just been such an amazing uh, uh, opportunity for me over the last few years. Yeah, I've, I've only been uh, recently been looking into people that study like flavors and, you know, try mm-hmm. and try to mix. Uh, it's a science to some of these people to try to mm-hmm. put the proper flavor with the proper food or, or drink or whatever like that. And, uh, uh, now for, uh, the thing I, I finally had to look it up because I was getting tired of it. I'm not a big fan of the term mixologist and, uh, you know, you put IST at the end of a term, uh, or ologist, the word, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking scientists just leave it for the people that work with the lab coats and stuff like that. But the difference between bartender and mixologist is bartenders will make you what you ask for. So right. uh, even if you don't have a bottle, like somebody comes into my bar and says, you know what you should carry? Hard truth whiskey. And then mm-hmm. I just, I turn her over to my manager and I said, customer wants us to order hard truth. Let, let's put it on the shelf. And he, he does it. But, right. uh, you know, whereas a mixologist, they've studied flavors. They try to give you experiences with these Mm -hmm. Uh, with these drinks that they create for you and Mm -hmm. uh and uh how you know how hard is it to learn all of that in order to no absolutely not that cannot go with that or yeah that's a great question you know i i find you know I, i think about different things that you uh, what motivates you, right? And just through through whatever you're doing, whether it's for work or for your your passions, um, and really uh, for whatever reason, I've just in, I, in naturally, um, just inherently, whenever I want to, uh, let's say I let's say I go somewhere and I, and I have this an amazing dish, right? Maybe something I've never had before. Um, and so then my brain automatically goes to, oh my God, now we, we're going to have to learn everything that we can about this thing. I want to learn the origins of it. I want to learn the history of it. I want to learn where the influences came that brought cinnamon to the table, you know? And so my brain naturally does that. Like I don't have to, I don't have to search for the motivation to do that or wake up and say, oh, I'm going to have to research this today. Like it's, it's almost like, you know, like when you have a hobby or a passion project that, that you really care about yeah. my brain naturally cares about that so you know it's like i can't stop myself from going and you know and what i end up with at the end result might necessarily not be for everybody 
But it's for me, I've dug deep enough and I've opened up all the channels and I try to like kind of make myself an open vessel and take in all the information I can about something. And then I start to filter through of which parts of it speak to me or maybe speak to my style or my, my flavor. And then oftentimes uh, now, but then to to transfer that to distilled spirits is, is, you know, there's some differences there because, you know, you're not with, with distilled spirits, especially with whiskey, you know, you're not making those flavor changes in real time. You're making decisions that then when you put that barrel in your rack house and let it sit there for four years, you know, all those hundreds of decisions that you made before you put that in the barrel, those start to express themselves later as the whiskey matures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's not just, it's not exactly like, you know, when you're cooking something and you can season it and, and move it along to its final, you know, to what it's going to finally be. But, um, you know, oftentimes now we've, you know, kind of been through this enough to where I can, I can think through ingredients and procedures and, and, and I can actually kind of sort of taste in my mind what the, what the food or the whiskey or whatever is going to taste like just through my, you know, through, through my experiences of tasting things. So I think it has a lot to do with just, you know, first of all, do you have a passion for it? And then second of all, tasting things. I mean, I'm, I'm infinitely, I mean, nothing impresses me more than, an incredible mixologist or a chef, you know, and their ability to kind of do the same thing and, and to create flavors. So really the, the way I approach making whiskey is, is more in that realm than it is, you know, looking at really the, the, the biochemical part of it. I mean, I love science and science is, is great. It's a, it's, it fascinates me to no end and I use it to my advantage, but really I view my whiskey making more of it from a culinary bend. Mm. I bet that comes in really handy because uh, you're looking for different expressions and, uh, you know, flavors and stuff like that. And you want to make something original. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's like, there's no, there's no new ideas. I mean, all songs are derivative of one another, you know, it's kind of <laughs> like there's, there are rarely, there are new things. So I don't, I don't have the a big enough ego to think that I'm going to come up with something that's, that's completely new, but uh, you know, I, I love to create complexity and balance and um, I've been given the, uh, the privilege to do that with hard truth. So, you know, when you start to explore our, our sweet mash whiskeys um, you know, we've got one in the market right now, there's soon to be three more coming up soon. Um, but what I've done is, is I've, I've really created a portfolio of, of, you know, a good 15 to 20 whiskeys that'll be coming out in the the near future that are, are nice. I haven't, you know, I, I, you know, like with sometimes you're pigeonholed and you have to do, you know, like I want you to create your bourbon and then that's it. You know, whatever that flavor profile is, that's it. But instead I've got, you know, about 10 different bourbon expressions and about 10 different rye whiskey expressions that over the next five or six years we'll be releasing. So it's going to be really fun to kind of explore that with people because there'll be people who, um, you know, love a few of them and maybe don't like a couple of them because of the grains that I use for them. Um, but I know that each one that I, that I, you know, each one of those mash bills or recipes that I put together, you know, are very purposely pulled in one direction or another from a flavor profile. Uh, one more thing about the flavor profile, uh, type of thing. Uh, I can only compare it. Uh, I used to study audio production, uh, years ago. Mm-hmm. And for a couple of years after I, it wasn't for a couple of years after I studied audio production, I started realizing that anytime I listened to any music, I'd be sitting there picking things apart. Okay. The violins are over there or the cowbell is way back in the mix. So somebody realized that was a mistake to have that in there, but they still have to pay the guy that had play the cowbell or, you know, drums are over here. Guitars are over here. And then all of a sudden one day I sat back and thought, well, I just listened to that whole album i forgot to enjoy it and right yeah does that come up that's a that's really that's a very interesting question because i just had you know a conversation kind of around this same subject with with some of the folks that i work with i mean you know just to give you know a little bit of background before i answer your question you know we i i work with uh you know i i get the privilege to come out here and talk to folks like you and and 
um, put my face out there, but we've got an incredible team of the hardest working men and women, I think in the industry who are all equally passionate about what, what we do here at hard truth. Um, and <clears throat> some of those folks are tasked with, you know, very hyper specific things that make sure that certain parts of our operation, you know, or, or certain parts of our process are attended to. Um, and sometimes that focus, you know, you can go down into the wormhole of, you know, really overthinking it. So I, and I, I do that myself all the time, but I had a, a really great, um, you know, mentor one time, you know, kind of gave me the trust, the process speech. You know, he said, he said, look, man, you're just making whiskey. Don't overthink it, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, you know, it's funny. So it's almost like <clears throat> you can cram all that stuff in and all that knowledge and go all down all those deep dives and all those wormholes and overthink, you know, stuff to death. And then now you own that it's in your head. Right. But then to not concentrate on that, but just to kind of do your thing and, you know, let those, let the different um, parts of that, that that make sense to you or that made your product better, you know, guide you, but to not obsess about it. So yeah, you you can certainly get lost in it. Um, And sometimes, you know, you know, we're making whiskey, man. If you, if you, if you can't have fun and relax and, and um, get a kick out of making whiskey, then, then you're definitely in the wrong business for sure. Yeah. Um, so becoming a master distiller, uh, mm. do you have to get a certificate for that? Or uh, is that just a, a job offer that you were given from hard truth? Glad you brought that up because I, I have very, uh, as most, most people that you find in the industry who either carry that title or carry a title similar to that. Um, you know, <clears throat> I view the the title master distiller, not as a designation, um, but more as a, you know, kind of like a, a, a it's, it's my title. It's, it's what I do. It's, it's, there's a, there's a set of things that I do every day. Um, that are different than what some of the other folks that are in our crew do. Um, it doesn't mean that it's more important or less important. It's just more of an operational title mm. for me personally. Um, and I was really, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was very adverse to the, I was averse to the title um, because, you know, it, first of all, I don't, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit, a little bit much, you know, it's like, you're okay. You're the master of this, right? It's cause I'm, I'll never consider myself a master of, of this craft. I'm constantly seeking it. Um, but then you have to think about it through the lens of, you know, uh, a lot of the people that enjoy your products or want to learn about the, the distillery or want to know about, you know, they, they, they need, they need you to categorize things for them. Right. So they want to know, okay, who's this, who's this and who's this. And those are the things that I know that make sense to me because based on historical, you know, and so because of that, you know, if, if you're a distillery and you've got someone who is in charge of, you know, setting the recipes, setting the SOPs, making sure that all the grain coming in is great grain and all the product going out at the end is of the highest quality, um, that really, those those responsibilities, answering to those things, fall on the master distiller historically and traditionally. Then all the stuff that's in the middle is very, very different from distillery to distillery. So a lot of the other stuff that I do um, and the hats that I wear might be different for a master distiller to another distillery. Um, but there, there are, I think there are some curriculum build outs being made now by universities to kind of run you into that um, area. But I, I actually was, I, I asked a very uh, important mentor to me who in my mind, very, um, very, you know, it was very, very appropriate for him to carry the, 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 you know, term master distiller and his, um, uh, in front of his name. And I asked him about it. I said, all right, you know, this is, this is a role in the, in a distillery. 
that needs to be filled. I'm the guy that's in that role. I'm not 100% comfortable with the term being used because I'm still fairly new at this. And and so then he kind of ran through to me historically, you know, from kind of a Kentucky perspective, you know, what master distiller means to people in this. Because, you know, ultimately I was thinking to myself, well, first, you know, if the, if my mentors, you know, see me carrying this title and, and they don't view that as appropriate, then I, then I really, I really can't do this. You know, I can't carry the title. So um, he ran through with me, you know, boxes that I needed to check um, in order to be considered that. And, and, you know, I, checked all the boxes. And again, I think that there are probably many people on our team that could carry this um, title and do it very, very well. So, you know, it's kind of a long answer, but, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I've always been a little conflicted about it, but I really view it as a role and not as a, as an end point designation for me, for, for my part of it. I think there are people that, you know, you look at Jimmy Russell at Wild Turkey, you know, that guy did it. He's there, you know, he's, yeah. He's been in the industry long enough. He's run a still long enough. He's run a business long enough um, to, to carry that title. So it's a, you know, but, but you also see it thrown around, you know, you'll see people who just started a distillery and got somebody that's never even distilled before and they call a master distiller, you know? Uh-huh. So I, I can see it's, it's a little confusing in the industry, but I just like to be really transparent about it and let people know my feelings about it. And, and um, you know, let them know what I do. And if they, they feel that that's, you know, appropriate for that, then I'm all good with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, another question I've got about that is I've heard of various companies taking out specific insurance policies on s- certain employees uh, for what they do specifically. Like the guy mm-hmm. that works for like Briars, they took out an insurance policy on his tongue. Uh, uh-huh. but, uh, do they, uh, uh, since you, uh, even just uh, talking to you for a little bit here, I've seen you take little, little sniffs out of samples and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do the, uh, is there anything specific that they do for you uh, since you're in that situation where you're te- uh, testing and uh, getting the nose off of everything? And Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where George was, was the hand model yes. and he was getting his, his hand. <laughs> Right. So uh, it's funny because I, I hadn't really ever thought about it until COVID. Right. And then all of a sudden there's all these people I know who, who lost their smell and taste and they're like, Oh yeah. Like for three, you know, some people it would be like for a couple of weeks, but then I know a couple people who are actually in the industry who completely lost their sense of smell and taste for over six months, completely, absolutely 100% gone. Um, that has to be scary because <laughs> your, your job it would and... definitely be scary. Yeah. And so the good news, bad news, well, good news is, you know, I, I, I carry, I wear a lot of other hats. So there are a lot of, other, <laughs> I want to make sure that my value to the company is still there, even if I lose my sniffer. But, um, and then the other good news is, is that we actually, our evaluation team is a, is a pretty robust team of people. So I'm not the only person. Um, there's, you know, Chris Moore, who's here, a barrel manager, um, Tim O'Brien, one of the founders and partners. And, um, then we've got, you know, the full distillery team. And, you know, it's, it's funny about evaluations is that you don't, it, it's kind of like a, it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's like a musical gift, right? There are some people that are born with the ability to pick up an instrument or like perfect pitch or whatever, and just go. Um, and there's other people who have to work really hard at it and, you know, maybe they'll, they could both end up at the same endpoint, but um, same thing with with evaluations. There are people who are extremely sensitive to certain um, smells or tastes, um, where they have very, very, very low threshold to where they can detect it. So, for example, you know our uh, our CFO, she is extremely um, sensitive to diacetyl. So you know, in the lowest concentration possible that I would never even be able to detect. Um, I found this out on our, on the brewery side of things. She's really uh, sensitive to it. So it's really good um, from an evaluation standpoint to, to get, you know, we basically put almost everybody that's here in this building 
through an evaluation kind of a, a evaluation evaluation. And then we, we kind of are able to pick out the people who are really have good, you know, evaluation sensory organs that they weren't even aware that they had. And then we use them for it. So um, the good news is, is if anything ever happens to my sniffer or my palate, um, hard truth will be okay. <laughs> and I'll hopefully still have a job, but uh, it is a concern. And, and I do, I know, as far as I know, they don't have a, <laughs> a policy out on my, <laughs> on my palate, but uh, I will say that, you know, <clears throat> that was, you know, I, I figured I'd probably, you know, if I got a, a COVID, you know, if I through the whole COVID thing, you know, if anything happened and I were to get sick, you know, I figured I'd probably be all right based on statistics, but I really was concerned about my, about my, um, my palate and my you know ability to smell and taste because yeah. it is a big deal. I mean, it would be a huge deal if I lost that. Yeah. A huge deal. I, uh, I, not that I've forgotten about COVID, it still lurks, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. but that I didn't realize how big of a danger for a person in your position that could be oh, uh, yeah. career threatening actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, without question. Now, uh, now this is a to me a left field question. Sure. Before you do your taste test, when you go into work, when you're uh, you test a new barrel or you're testing whatever. Um, sure. Do you how do you prepare your palate or because you know maybe you I don't uh, like out here in Texas we've got oil fields everywhere and there are times where I walk out of my house and I can smell the natural gas coming from the oil fields you know, wafting, uh, and that smell gets stuck in your nose for a little while. If you're not used to it. Um, mm -hmm. do you have any preparation that you do before you start doing all of that? It's a great question. If you notice the, I know you, you know, this is the audio, but if you, you know, if you look around and you see me in a very bright room. So this room that I'm in actually is our, um, our lab evaluation room. And so a couple things, first of all, um, when you're evaluating or tasting something, um, there are so many different, it's so subjective, even within yourself. Uh, and, and that you really have to, in order to create some sort of statistical significance, you have to get enough samples to make that decision. So I'll never taste something once or even twice and make a decision on it. If it's a big decision, um, I will want to taste it in the morning. I want to taste it in the afternoon. I'll want to taste it when I'm pissed off and I'll want to taste it when I'm in a good mood. If I can, like, honestly, really? there are, you know, you're, Oh yeah. Because you're, you know, you're, we're, we're, we, we preload ourselves to have opinions on things. Right. So there might be times whenever I taste one of our whiskeys and, and I'm like, man, that is just like, it's the best that whiskey has ever tasted. I love this barrel, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or I could come in in a different mood or at a different time of day and be concerned about that whiskey. Now that's a pretty, that's a pretty dramatic like uh, example. That's usually the, the swings aren't that wide. Um, but really interesting it, use it of is, scientific method though, if you ask me, but <laughs> the, all the evaluation protocols are a hundred percent based on science. I mean, we, we, we follow strict scientific method. We do everything double blind we have everyone taste things multiple times at different times of the day, because what you've eaten before, you know, coffee, drinking coffee, if you smoke cigarettes, um, after lunch, you know, if you have a, have a big meal. So <clears throat> a lot of the best evaluators that I know, um, who most, most of the best I've ever met are, are women. Um, but a lot of them will, you know, eat a very, very, if they know they're going to have a lot of evaluations for that day, They'll eat a very light and bland breakfast, you know, if, if anything at all, just super, super light. Um, if they're going to have coffee, they have it real early and then wait a couple hours before they start evaluating and then try to get all the evaluations in before lunch. And then with the evaluations, with whiskey specifically, depending on what you're, you know, from if I'm evaluating new make, like what's in here, which is clear, so before it goes in the barrel, um, I'm going to dilute that down pretty pretty diluted um, because then that brings out any, when you dilute whiskey, if there are any off flavors or anything bad in it, it'll actually come out when it's diluted. Um, and then with this, you know, you're going to smell and you'll get a lot on the smell. And then if you do put it on your palate, uh, typically I put it in, roll it around and then spit it out. 
um, because there are literally weeks where you're doing hundreds of, of evaluations. So consuming it um, obviously could bring problems um, with your, you know, being able to not have a horrendous headache on your <laughs> <free> go home. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, and then whenever we're, we're evaluating whiskey that's come out of the barrel, um, you know, depending on what we're looking for, sometimes we're doing a quality rating. Other times we're just wanting to get flavor notes on specific barrels um, because the, the wood brings so much to the, to the, you know, to the flavor profile. And from barrel to barrel, you can have very different swings of flavors. So, um, but we, we, we approach the, the evaluation process with very, um, a lot of sincerity and, uh, scientific process and we don't screw around because you can, you know, you, you don't want to let anything through that maybe has a problem and you want to make sure you're always putting your best stuff out there. Yeah. That's a uh, real fascinating use of uh, scientific method i mean uh, to actually think about uh like uh you, you know what would this taste like with a steak what would this taste like with a cob salad or mm-hmm. uh yeah. or you know even even like uh, how does this hit me emotionally that <laughs> i mean yeah that's sure that's a lot of factors that uh, are thrown in yeah you have to consider all those things and if you if any of your um listeners ever go or if you're whiskey people there's a guy named michael veach out of kentucky and he's really famous he's a a a longtime whiskey writer and um, reviewer and whenever he reviews whiskey he always they'll do a sip and then i think it's is it pecan i'm gonna get this wrong then he he takes like a little bite of dark chocolate and then takes a sip and talks about the notes and then he takes a bite of a pecan and then takes a sip and talks about what comes out because also other things that you put on your palate can bring out different notes um, from the whiskeys. It's really kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the hard truth about hard truth. I've been, I've been waiting all day to use that one. (laughs) Did it well. (laughs) Um, So you started working for the company in 2015. Uh, How long, how long has hard truth been around? So we're actually, for your folks who are in Indiana or or maybe spent time in Indiana, um, the business was started by um, a a core of a group of friends um, who lived here in Brown County. And they really was, they weren't looking to get into, you know, this, this line of business, but they really wanted just a place to where they could get a good craft beer. And so, um, hard truth is actually born out of a couple other businesses. So, um, Quaffon Brewing Company was started in 2008 or not 2009, I think 2008, um, here in the state of Indiana. Now they're the second or third largest craft brewer in the state. Um, and then, you know, they started being successful with some brew pubs that they, uh, where they would sell their beer. And so then they're a restaurant group popped out. And the restaurant group is called Big Woods Restaurant Group. So we've got about 10 Big Woods locations in the state of Indiana. Um, and then Quaffon Brewing Company is, uh, like I said, the second or third largest craft brewer in the state of Indiana. So in 2015, um, Ted Huber down at near uh, Louisville, kind of close to Louisville, but in Indiana, he worked with his state legislature um, to put forth uh, Indiana Artisan Distillers Permit um, to be a, a thing. So what that permit um, really put in place was if you already had a, a winery, a winemaker's permit or a brewer's permit, you could collate, co-locate a distillery at your brewery or winery. Um, if you did not, you had to go through a three-year waiting process, yada, yada. So um, he put that in place, and the, the founders of uh, Coiffon and Big Woods um, jumped through those hoops and got the permit. And at that same time was whenever I was, uh, had gotten involved with the organization and found out that they were doing that. And so then I kind of proposed to them what I could do for them. That had to have been interesting. Uh, like you just, did you just walk up to them and, you know, say, listen, this is who I am. This is what I can do. You know, <laughs> it's funny, kind of, sort of, yeah. uh, it was one of my buddies was, uh, selling beer for Quaffon. Um, I used to brew beer in college. 
Um, like I said, I've got a history with my, my family and my dad and his friends used to make wine or they still do or every year down uh, in Evansville where I grew up. Um, and so I, I always loved fermentation and, and making yum, you know, delicious, uh, drinkable alcohol goods. Um, I'd never done it commercially. And so I was interested to see what a, what a, a brewery was like. So I asked my buddy who was selling beer for cloth. I said, can I, you know, can I, I want to come check out the brewery. So I did. And, uh, uh, at that time, I I was thinking, man, I could really, you know, had just turned 40 years old, and I figured this is a good time to, to add something new to your life. So I asked my wife, I said, what would you think about me going and working at a brewery just one day a week just for, to you know, to kind of change, you know, shake things up a little bit? And she said, whatever makes you happy, go for it. So um, I did that really as kind of, you know, just something fun to do, honestly, because uh, I was working um, – mostly from home. So it was, it was, it was interesting. And then right at that same time was they had just bought their first stills and had got their permit. And so, um, one of my friends was a distiller, talked to him about it, saw the opportunity. And over the course of about six months, as they progressed with what they were wanting to do, um, uh, and, and forming the idea of what they wanted hard juice distilling company to be, um, I, I saw an opportunity there and I basically went to them, um, and said, Hey, I've, I've got the bandwidth. Uh, I, I, I got the passion to do this and, uh, and here's where I think we could take this company. And I gave them my proposal and rest is history. Oh, that's, uh, this is a great success story there. Uh, what were you doing before you were, uh, before you did that? So I got my, I got my degree in recreation therapy from IU, which is recreation therapy. is kind of sort of like making whiskey. I fairly, <laughs> fairly similar, yeah. but, uh, if I did though, I got some, you know, some, there was some biology and some chemistry in there that, that certainly helped me along um, with what I'm doing now. Um, and so I worked in the uh, mental health industry for a little while and then, uh, after that, I also was a, a residential real estate appraiser for a bit. Um, so, you know, just like anybody else, it seems like you, you know, most people, when they get to a certain age, they've done several things, at least most of the people that I know. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting. I've got, I've got kids now and I think about what their path will be, you know. And uh, as a kid, I always thought I was going to pick a thing and that's what I was going to do, you know, and. And yeah. so now I can point to about six different things that I've done so far and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's kind of fun. So, yeah. yeah, this is by far the most fun thing I've done. Well, you should always get a job that you have fun at and you don't work a day in your life. So that's right. <laughs> yep. Um, let's talk about a little bit more about the product. Uh, sure. now, uh, you guys were generous enough to send me a, a bottle of sweet, uh, sweet mash bourbon whiskey. I, I think that's what it was. Uh, yeah, no, sweet mash rye. Sweet mash rye. You guys were generous enough yep. to send me some sweet mash rye. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing I want to talk about is, is you know, sweet mash. So what is sweet mash? Because everybody, I think, that's a whiskey fan is used to seeing the Jack Daniels bottle. It's a sour mash um, whiskey. And people are kind of sort of familiar with that term. Uh, people that are into whiskey know a little bit about it, but um, but sweet mash is a relatively new way of making whiskey, um, and it really I connected with that method um, as we were formulating what this distillery was going to be. I met some folks down in Danville, Kentucky, that kind of turned my head on a swivel with with sweet mash process. So essentially the difference between, you know, sour mashing and sweet mashing. Sour mashing is, uh, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a, a, a way to produce whiskey where when you're done with making your previous batch of whiskey, you have a leftover material, most people call slop, um, and it's essentially everything but the alcohol. So it's the, the yeast, the grain, the water. So, you know, you, you, You've major, you've major, you've mashed, you've fermented, and you've distilled, and you've taken the whiskey off, and now you've got what's left from the fermentation. 
everything in there is dead. There's nothing alive. So it's not like a sourdough starter where you're, you know, giving new, you know, old yeast to the next batch. Uh, but what it does is what they found was, you know, when they started making whiskey way back in the old days, um, they would sometimes lose batches to contamination, bacterial contamination. So the yeast would, would lose out to the bacteria because, you know, they weren't able to really clean everything out because crusty pipes and, and, and old, old uh, equipment and stuff. So what they found was is if they put this, you know, a certain percentage, usually about 10 to 15% of the slop back into the next fermentation, it would lower the pH of that mash and protect that um, fermentation from bacterial contamination. So mm -hmm. they figured that out and then they thought, okay, well, this works. And then they started marketing it over time as a superior way to make whiskey. Now there are some other things that sour mashing does that can be viewed as positive, but, um, and, and I always thought that, that was the only way to make bourbon or rye whiskey. So I met <clears throat> Shane and Pat uh, down at Wilderness Trail in Danville, Kentucky. Um, as we were trying to figure out what we were going to build here. And uh, those guys were telling me about Sweet Mash, that they were Sweet Mash Distillery, Sweet Mash, Sweet Mash, Sweet Mash. Uh, and I was like, okay, this sounds like a marketing thing. You know, someone tells me something like that enough times. And so then we went into their rack house and they drilled a barrel of two and a half year old rye whiskey um, because they, hadn't, they hadn't, didn't have any whiskey out in the market at this time. And uh, it just blew my mind the complexity, the soft mouth feel. Um, it didn't, it, it, it's not that it ages faster, but a younger whiskey tastes so much better. Uh, a sweet mash whiskey that's younger tastes so much better than a sour mash whiskey at that age to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I was kind of blown away. So then I said, wait a minute, I don't learn more about the sweet mash. So um, I spent a lot of time studying sweet mash process um at the help of with those guys specifically um and so back to our sweet mash rye whiskey now this is our first whiskey that we've released we are 100 percent sweet mash distillery so everything we do here so what sweet mashing is is every single mash in is fresh water fresh grain fresh yeast every time we don't put any of the slot back in and so what that does is it creates a lot more complexity brighter flavors um so with this whiskey, you know, when you taste it, you're going to get a nice front palate, nice mid palate, nice long finish. And, you know, the whiskey is only about three years old, two, two, three years old um, for this, this particular whiskey. Um, it's 94% rye, 6% malted barley. So it's definitely got that big, you know, beautiful and uh, bold spice of the rye. You know, the rye grain is such a great grain. It brings a lot of sweetness. Uh, but it also brings all those wonderful, like, holiday spices, I call them. You know, cinnamon and clove and nutmeg, um, white pepper. So you get some spiciness from rye. Um, so this is our first release, and we released it last fall. 94% uh, rye, 6% malted barley. Again, we bottle it at cask strength. So I take 30 barrels and marry them together based on the flavor profiles of those barrels. So, again, back to, you know, going back to this culinary thing, for each mash bill, which is essentially our recipe, I use two different yeast strains. So like on Monday, I'll use yeast strain A, Tuesday yeast strain B, Wednesday yeast strain A, B. So I alternate yeast strains, which the yeast strains, the different yeast strains provide different flavor profiles. And then for each mash bill, I also have five different barrel profiles that I enter into. So what that gives me essentially is 10 ingredients, right? So one recipe, but it's 10 ingredients. So whenever I'm marrying those 30 barrels together, I can bring more complexity in by all the different flavor profiles from all those barrels. Um, so what you've got there is, is our mash bill one, um, which is 94% rye, 6% malted barley. And uh, again, we our, our sweet mash whiskeys are really fruit forward. So you get a lot of those bright, um, uh, orchard fruits, sometimes tropical fruits, um, a lot of depth of sweetness. And then again, that nice rye spice. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at the, uh, uh, the information they sent me about that. It, uh, it, uh, the nose, brown sugar, sweet dill, baking spices and dried fruit. Uh, the palate caramel and honey with rich dill, golden raisin cr and cracked black pepper. 
And then the finish is balanced and lingering maple oak fade to hints of fruit and mocha. That's an interesting combination. It is, and I didn't come up with all those fancy words, just so you know. <laughs> um, that's that's the one thing that I, I will 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 always relent to is is that I I'm very obsessive about how I make the whiskey, but describing it is not my forte. That's what I have. Uh, I've got people who come up with all those places. But it's funny because, you know, when they say, oh, I, I taste this, you know, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I get that. Um, so, but, but yeah, we do with a, a lot of our, a lot of our whiskeys, we get a, a lot of very complex sugars. Um, again, the orchard fruit and then some of those mocha um, and nutty characteristics are, are pretty indicative of our whiskeys as well. Yeah. Now, um, do you, uh, do you use specific barrels when you're uh, distilling these? Yes, very much so. So if you want to talk about a wormhole, man, the, the, the wormhole of barrel science is endless and it's super duper fascinating. Um, so, you know, uh, it's for the rules of bourbon and rye whiskey, there are certain rules you have to follow. Um, but certainly uh, it being an oak barrel, um, they all always has to be in an oak barrel, um, in order to be considered rye or bourbon whiskey. But then, you know, the different char and toast, um, profiles that they, so they, they will actually toast the barrels and then they light them on fire, um, to char them. And so the way that they do that, um, the amount of time and the amount of heat all can create different flavors in your whiskey. So, you know, the whiskey goes into the barrel clear as water and it comes out that beautiful butterscotch golden color. Um, and a lot of those, the vanilla notes, the caramel, the butterscotch, all those flavors, mocha, those all come from the, the oak barrel itself. Um, so we work with a Cooperage independent stave Cooperage, and uh, now we just brought on another Cooperage as well, the um, Great West Virginia Barrel Company. Um, and we work with them to create custom char and toast combinations that give us a very unique flavor profile. Mm. Um, uh, question that's always been in the back of my mind. How long does it take to ferment sure. once, you, uh, once you put it in the cask? Yeah, good, good question. So the, the process is basically three parts. You've got cooking you've got fermenting and then you've got distilling. So, um, you know, the cooking is essentially grinding up the grain into flour and mixing it with hot water and getting those starches uh, converted into sugars and into solution. Then with fermenting, you're adding yeast um, to that sugary grain solution. And those yeast eat that uh, sugar up and they make three main things, which is heat, carbon dioxide and ethanol. And then they also create a bunch of flavor compounds depending on the grain that's in there. Um, and then once you're done fermenting, then you're distilling. And when you're distilling, you're not really making any, um, any alcohol. You're just separating the alcohol. So the cooking takes about, you know, four to six hours. The fermentation, depending on how hot you have your ferment set, take between three to five days. To, to consume all those sugars and turn them into alcohol. Then the distillation is about eight hours. Um, so then once all that's done, you're putting your whiskey into your barrel. And then once it hits that barrel, it's just up to, you know, the weather and your taste buds and, you know, how long you want to leave it. And, you know, your financial wherewithal to let money sit in a, sit in a barrel, <laughs> not making any money for a long time. Um, and then really you're targeting what flavor profile you want. So, you know, right now we released our first whiskey. Um, like I said, the, all the juice in there is between two and a half to three years old, which is relatively young for a, a whiskey. But with this particular mash bill and with our sweet mash process, like I said, the, the whiskey going into the barrel tastes so much better than most whiskey, most sour mash whiskeys going into the barrel. So you're not really relying on, time to take bad flavors out you're just waiting on you know time to let that barrel release all of its goodness into the whiskey and get to the flavor profile that you want okay i see because i've uh i've made jokes all the time about uh you know because a friend of mine years ago he told me that his uncle was investing in a uh spirit and the and they were talking about that it was going to be a 20 year old spirit. And I thought, well, the first 20 years, they're not going to be making any money. And yeah, 
I mean, because, you know, it's basically the waiting game. And sure. Uh, but, well, and also, you know, something that, you know, since you've got a big industry crowd here, um, you know, probably most, most people know this, but, you know, if you look on a shelf now at your local liquor store and you look at the bourbon section, I mean, it used to be what it used to be like maybe six to 12 bourbons would be there. Right. Right. Now it's, it's like craft beer. It's like there's hundreds of them. Yeah. And there are all these cool bottles and cool brands and, you know, interesting stories and, you know, all this marketing talking about what's in the bottle. Um, but the reality is, is that a great majority of that whiskey was distilled by another distillery. And then that brand purchased the whiskey, came up with the cool concept for a brand and put the whiskey in a bottle, mm-hmm. which a lot of that whiskey was distilled in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, um, which MGP, uh, it's old Seagram's plant, you know, they've been making, you know, they make so much whiskey. And so there are a lot of brands that started. So to your, to your friend, you know, like a lot of, a lot of times when people want to start a venture, they start by buying up old whiskey barrels and starting a brand and putting that whiskey in the bottle, start selling it, making money. And then as they're making money, then they're investing in building a distillery for themselves, hoping that some point in time they can start putting their liquid in um, to replace what they started with. You know, there's a number of very, very popular brands that started that way that, that your, your, your um, listeners would know. So it's, it's the industry is very interesting how people get in it. You know, we're, we don't just make whiskey here. So how we kind of, in, you know, started cash flow. And for some of your listeners who are familiar with hard truth, they might be more familiar with our uh, toasted coconut rum and our cinnamon vodka. So those are our two number one selling non-whiskey spirits. And then we've also got um, some creams out there. I've got a maple bourbon cream, got a toasted coconut rum cream, um, you know, cream liqueurs. Um, then we also have, you know, gins and vodkas and um, some standard ones. But, but we've, uh, instead of going the route, we do have some source whiskeys too, but, but for our sweet mash uh, whiskey, it's all ours and it will always be all ours. Um, and so how we were able to kind of fund our growth um, for, to, you know, to be able to get into the whiskey space is really using spirits that don't require aging. You know, so the toast coconut rum, you know, we mash or you, know, you don't mash with rum. You just, you, you put the molasses and sugar in the water, introduce the yeast, you know, let it ferment, then you distill it. And then you're ready to go into, you know, once you infuse your coconut and all that, then you're ready to go into a bottle. So it's, it's more like a two week turnaround time as opposed to three to four a year. Yeah. That's uh, good. Uh, when it comes to the aging process, I, I had another company on my, uh, on this show and I made the joke because uh, uh, the company had been around for a very long time. And I, they were talking about a 50 year bottle that they were going to uh, oh, start wow. distributing. Yeah. And I said, how do you get a 50 year bottle? Did, uh, did you uh, go walk back into the warehouse and see you got all these casks sitting there since, you know, yeah. Since yeah, way back when yeah. and tasted it, hey, it still tastes pretty good. Sell it, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's amazing how little liquids left in the barrel. So, like you know, we've we've got a, a or, or you think your listeners were like Pappy Van Winkle, right? Twenty twenty three year old Pappy Van Winkle. After twenty three years, there is not much liquid left in that barrel. You know, probably maybe you know maybe ten gallons, eight to twelve gallons of liquid out of 53 gallons. I mean, there's not much left. So there's a lot of evaporation that happens over time. So, and some of those casks end up completely empty by the time, you know, just from leakage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. We'll, we're, we're going to let some stuff, you know, age. I don't think, you know, we'll let it age that long, but uh, <laughs> you know, you never know. Maybe we'll forget about one of or two. Of them. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, well, we're coming up on last call in the show, so um, if you could help my listeners out and give them give them some information sure. on how they could uh, uh, maybe do a little bit more research into hard truth or uh, anything like that, you bet. Yeah, so tell you a little bit. One thing we didn't touch on was this distillery. So, oh, on top oh. of uh, all this delicious liquid that we've got, we've got a three hundred twenty five acres here in beautiful Brown County. We've got a three hundred seat restaurant, thousand person outdoor music 
venue. We do tours. Uh, we do tastings. We have a, this beautiful restaurant that serves amazing food. Um, we've got uh, tours that go through the distillery, tours that go through the rack house. We've got side-by-side ATV tours. We drive, you drink. Um, we, we really do a lot of amazing stuff here on this campus. And i uh, just give you an idea. In 2021, we had over 600,000 visitors um, at our distillery. So wow. if you're in the area, we're, you know, we're a, a short drive from Chicago, Indianapolis, Louisville, Cincinnati, St. Louis. Um, if you're passing through on 65, definitely stop off and come see us. Um, and then if you want to learn more about the distillery, go to hardtruth.com. And uh, we've got a spirit finder, one of those little cool widgets where you put in your zip code and it'll tell you where to find hard truth near you. We're in 21 states right now. Uh, we're adding 15 states next year. Um, so you can find hard truth in a, a lot of them. By the end of next year, we should be in most major markets. Um, and, uh, and all kinds of cocktail builds on the website. We do great for your uh, industry folks here. We do great restaurant engagement, you know, for on-premise stuff. We, you know, we can help out with, with, uh, cocktail cards and, and all kinds of good stuff. Cause you know, most, most new brands are built, um, in bars and restaurants, not on the liquor store shelves. And finally, uh, what do you see in the future for hard truth? What's, uh, what's coming up? Yeah, we've, uh, we're, we're, making our distillation system, we're growing our distillation system currently as we speak. So we will be running, um, eight X what we were running last year. So we're greatly expanding our whiskey capacity, which is going to be amazing in the years to come. Um, we plan on being in most all major markets by the end of next year. And, uh, and yeah, there's this really, there's no ceiling. We, we're just going to keep doing it, keep making great whiskey and keep having fun here on the, on the property with all these hardworking working men and women and supporting our local farmers and, and, uh, doing the damn thing. That sounds awesome. Uh, and it just, you just made it sound like a lot of fun. So you, you've got, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it's exactly your dream, dream job, but it's a job that you love doing. And that's the most important part, uh, part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Brian Smith, uh, Hard Truth Distilling Company, master distiller and co-partner, thank you so much for taking the time out to being on Hey Bartender podcast. And uh, I look forward to talking to you some uh, again sometime. Thanks, Anthony. It's been a blast. And that's it. It is last call, people. Last call for alcohol. Get up onto the bar and get your drink before I stop. Big thanks to Brian Smith of Hard Truth Distilling Company for coming on and telling us about the uh, the distilling process and all the great information uh, you gave us about the scientific method of actually uh, distilling spirits. It, that's just really great stuff. Check around your local liquor stores to see if the Hard Truth Sweet Mash Rye is available. Uh, it, we're going to be doing some videos on TikTok about it later on this week. If you want to find out more about Hard Truth, especially where you can buy it or more about the product, go to hardtruth.com and find out. They've got one of those cool things where you type in your zip code and they'll tell you where the nearest liquor store that carries it is. Remember to share, like, and subscribe to Hey Bartender Podcast. Leave me a review, five stars. That would be awesome, too. Uh, remember to visit www.heybartenderpodcast.com. You can check out the newest and latest episodes. And you can also check out a way to buy your own Hey Bartender Podcast t-shirt. You know what they look like. If you follow me on uh, TikTok, you see me wearing them all the time. Uh, follow me on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, all of them at Hey Bartender Podcast. And uh, don't forget cwspirits.com go there to go shop around for your favorite liquor maybe find something that you've never tried before and end up liking it all you have to do is go to www.cwspirits.com and use code heybartender5 at checkout and you get 5% off your entire order plus free shipping for every order over $125 Christmas is coming up, people. Now, for all you people that like to give your boss a bottle for Christmas or you've got a uh, 
uncle that really enjoys different kinds of spirits, whether it be whiskey, vodka, or something like that, CW Spirits is the place to go, especially if you want to get gift boxes. Keep listening to Hey Bartender Podcast. Tell your friends, family, anybody. If you go to a restaurant, you look up at your waiter or server or uh, bartender and say, Hey, have you heard of Hey Bartender Podcast? Any of that would be really helpful for me. Spread the word about Hey Bartender Podcast. And plus, if you want to be a guest on Hey Bartender Podcast, all you have to do is send me an email, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com, and tell me a little bit about yourself, and I'll see if I can get you on the show. Uh, you know, because the more guests I have on the show, the happier I am. Uh, or if you can, if you already follow me on social media, leave me a message there. I'd love to hear from any of you. But until next time, people, as usual, I wish you all lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness. And remember, don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's last call? I just got hit.